There was a history class at a large university, one of those big, you know, 300 student type classes. Um, and it was the big final exam and the professor was pacing in front, watching out for cheaters and kind of, you know, one of those professors. And, and the rules were, you know, you, you, you had a certain amount of time to do the test. And uh, then when time's up, you put your pencils down, you had to come up and bring whoever was still taking the test, uh, bring the papers to the front and put them on the pile. Uh, well, this one kid was running late and if he said, stop, put your pencils down, everybody kind of reluctantly came and put their papers in the pile. But one kid just kept writing, working on his test and the professor said, uh, young man, time is up. And the, the guy just kind of looked up and then looked back down and just kept working on his, uh, his paper. And the professor was sort of taken back by this. Like he couldn't believe the audacity of this kid just to keep going, even though the test, he's, you know, he's thinking, I'm gonna fail this kid because he's just not... Well, after about 15 minutes, he just wanted to see how long this kid would go, you know. After about 15 minutes, the kid stood up and walked up to the paper pile and, he, and, um, and the professor said, you're not gonna pass this exam. You just spent 15 extra minutes and everybody else got. And the kid said, do you know who I am? And the professor said, no, and I don't care who you are. And the kid said, good. And he stuck his paper right in the middle of the pile. <laughs> and he walked out of the room happily. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, uh, we feel like we're running out of time. This life, uh, the test that we're taking, uh, and, and also we feel like, does the Lord even know what I'm going through or who I am or what I'm feeling? Does the Lord know my struggles? Um, but the Bible tells us and reminds us the Lord knows you personally. He thinks about you personally. Um, you know, Luke 12, seven reminds us that the very hairs of our head are numbered by the Lord. That he knows more about you than you know about you, um, which is kind of an amazing thing. And, and the fact that God can put so much of his attention and affection to you is a mathematical equation. If you take um, an infinite number and you divide that by any number, say eight billion people on the earth, so eight billion or infinity divided by eight billion, what's the quotient? Infinity. In other words, God is not running shorthanded like, oh man, there's so many people, what am I gonna do? Uh, he can give you his infinite attention and he's still got infinity left to, to uh, give to the rest of the world, as it turns out. Um, the Bible teaches us, you know, those omni words, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere, all the time, uh, omnipotent, all-powerful. Um, there's nothing in our Lord that lacks. He's infinite in mercy, as we learned last Sunday. He's infinite in love, and he's also amazing, infinite in patience. Like he's so um, kind and good. Um, we have a story about a single little person that was living in a nothing little town who really should have gone to obscurity in history, except for one thing, the Lord knew her and knew about her and had a heart for her, uh, and she was highly favored. Um, none other than Mary the mother of Jesus. And this is kind of where we pick up our story and, and to see how um, Jesus starts, you know, kind of on the lowest of the low, really. And he kind of stays there. He made himself of no rep reputation, took himself in the form of the servant, Philippians tells us. Um, and, and not only that, it's young Mary, a teenage girl, but she's from a town that's a nothing town, Nazareth, 
oh, we talk about Nazareth, you know, as, you know, the biblical town. And we've got this, you know, little thought about what Nazareth really is and all that stuff. But, um, but as it turns out, you know, Nazareth is a, is a, is a town that um, is kind of fun to visit, but there's nothing really to see. I, um, a lot of times our groups say, Brett, why didn't you take us to Nazareth? And the reason is um, there's very little to see. And what you do see, you have to go into these big, ugly cathedrals and churches and stuff. There are some kind of cool scenes and I've shown you some video footage of Nazareth, but Nazareth was sort of infamously sort of podunk. Uh, in the first century. Now this big church is what the Catholics built over um, the, the little old town of Nazareth. The town of Nazareth during the time of Jesus was not even as big as this sanctuary. It was a tiny, tiny little town. Um, and um, maybe 150 people lived there. This is the church and you can kind of see some of the archeological ruins there. Um, there's me taking pictures, but um, <laughs> but you know, other than that, it's it's kind of just this this. And what's interesting about Nazareth today is when you go around the streets of Nazareth, you can uh, you can go and see. Um, it's uh, there's a lot of Arabs that live in Nazareth right now. It's largely a Gentile town today, but it was also a Gentile town back in the day of Mary. Um, that's why people didn't like. Nazareth. The Jews thought of it as sort of a, a, a loser town um, and what have you. Uh, in fact, if you remember in John 1, 46, uh, it was Nathaniel that said to, to those that said, hey, uh, you know, where's this guy Jesus from? And they, they said, the Messiah. And he said, from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? That was the attitude people had about Nazareth and what have you. But um, as you kind of look at some of these and walking down the street, there is a little synagogue there in uh, Nazareth that um, might just be the very synagogue that Jesus uh, spoke in and spoke from. And uh, it's kind of a fun place to see is uh, dated back to the first century. So it's very possible that Jesus spoke in that very synagogue. But, but Nazareth is just kind of basically, um, you know, just a, a, a little town that's overlooking Armageddon. I always kind of marvel that Jesus is a young boy. Did he look over the valley of Armageddon from his hometown and say, well, this is the place where I'm gonna come and war against all the nations in the last days. You know, like uh, what, a, what an amazing thing to think that a young Jesus, how much did he know about that? Um, you know, and uh, there's questions, you know, I have about that. But, but all that to say, um, you know, concerning Nazareth, um, it's just a nothing town and people sort of mocked it as sort of a loser town. And that's where Jesus would be from. I think that's, that's appropriate as Jesus would come making himself of no reputation. Um, and so this is kind of where we picked it up. We, we finished last week with Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And we pick it up in verse 26 tonight concerning Mary, mother of Jesus. It says in verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now this is, um, this is uh, the sixth month um, uh, after Elizabeth has been pregnant now. She's, uh, she's in her third trimester. Uh, um, and, um, and she's in the little town of Nazareth here. In verse 27, to, to a virgin, um, she goes and visits, uh, the, the Gabriel visits uh, the, the virgin, verse 27. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I gotta warn you, we've heard this story because of Christmas, uh, year after year, Christmas time, Christmas Eve services and stuff like that. But we gotta kind of go back to remembering, it's not just about 
Christmas and, and Christmas lights and presents and all that stuff. This story is about the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. Let's keep the, the bigger picture in mind of what's really happening. Jesus um, was born uh, in a very non-perfect lineage uh, and, and people. Um, this, this passage is gonna remind us that he's 100% man, but he's also 100% deity or God. Um, he wasn't born of someone from a holy place in Jerusalem, but was from a very imperfect sort of Nazareth sort of location. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it says she was espoused to a man named Joseph. Now, this is a word we don't have in our culture. There is no espousal in our day. We have engagement and then we have the wedding. That's kind of how we roll here in the United States. In ancient times, in the first century, there was three tiers of your uh, readiness of being married. First, there was the, um, the engagement. Um, and then there was the espousal. And then there was the wedding and the consummation of the, of the wedding. And then you'd move in together uh, and live in the same house. Today, you move into the house, you consummate, and then you get maybe engaged and maybe married if you probably not. That's, that's sort of our culture. Can I just say, that's our evil, wicked culture that has made marriage something that's not even really biblically sound. Um, you know, and we'll talk more about that. But, but uh, the idea of, uh, of those days, when you were engaged, that might even have been when you were children. Your parents help engage uh, with marriage and, and kind of help organize, you know, and stuff like that. But um, the idea of engagement uh, was uh, the plan. But once you became espoused, it was almost as good as if you were married. In fact, um, the only thing really that wasn't done after you became espoused is the consummation, the romance part of the marriage. That just hadn't happened yet and you hadn't moved in together. You were as good as married. In fact, if you wanted to break an engagement, there's nothing you had to do. You're saying it's off. But if you were gonna break an espousal period, you had to write a bill of divorce as if you were just married already. So it was a very serious part of this relationship. And that's why, you remember, when Mary becomes pregnant, Joseph thinks to put her away, writing a bill of divorcement, it says. Why? Because they were in this spousal period. Um, and that was, so that kind of tells you that was a, a very serious part of the relationship. Now, if you know your Jewish wedding, it's kind of cool because during the spousal period, the, the, the groom would go off and start preparing a house uh, for them to live in and building usually on top of the parents' house. Um, they do that today in the Middle East, uh, even to this day. If you go to the Middle East, like in, uh, particularly when you're going through like Jordan or some of these more third world uh, countries in the Middle East, you see the, the culture is the same as the first century. Um, you see all these houses everywhere and there's rebar sticking up out of the, 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 the roof area, the walls of, the, of each uh, home. You're like, man, none of these houses are finished. Why don't they finish their, put a nice roof on your house? It's, it's, it's not what they do. They leave the rebar sticking out so that the, the son of the father can go and build around the next level of the house for his family. And as you go up the tiers, that'd be the younger uh, of the generations. Um, and so that's what you see. A lot of them, you think it's just unfinished construction. No, they readied it for when their son goes and builds the rest of the house for his uh, wife to be. So it kind of a cool little picture. You know, they're in the spousal period. Joseph's job at this time would be to be preparing a home for, for them. Um, does anybody know, when would we know, who would tell us when the house would be ready? Would it be the groom? No, not the groom. Who would tell us when they're ready? The father of the, bra, uh, the groom would say, son, your house is ready. 
um, isn't it interesting? We're the bride of Christ. And, and Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's almost like you and I as Christians were espoused to our bridegroom, Jesus. And he went to prepare a place for us. And Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, not even the son of man, but the father in heaven only knows uh, the, the second coming of Christ, the, the return of Christ. So it's interesting, we're waiting for when the father of, in heaven says, time's up and time for the church to be joined to the bridegroom, Jesus. Um, the, the Jewish wedding, we could go in, we have gone into that in great detail. Uh, and the picture is perfect for the church of Jesus Christ, the way the Jewish wedding would roll. But that's the situation. She's espoused to Joseph. And so this is shocking news. Yeah, you gotta kind of put yourself in her sandals at this moment. But before we do this, I want to just take a moment and um, mention this, um, it says verse 27, she was a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Um, and so far we've heard, you know, the virgin's name is Mary. Um, can I just uh, talk just for a second about the value of virginity? Nobody talks about that anymore. We have so many other sexually perverted wacko things in our culture. It's like, are you still a virgin? Nobody cares about that anymore. It's are you a boy or a girl uh, biologically or in your mind? Uh, like we've got so many other weird things that we're wrestling with, but I just wanna remind everybody and um, you know, remind the value of virginity. Now, now, the Lord couldn't have used Mary had she not been a virgin because the prophet told us that this is what would be required. In fact, it was Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, the virgin birth was essential to fulfill prophecy and thus identifying who the true Messiah would be. So the virgin birth is huge and it's important. Um, uh, but when it comes to just virginity, uh, you know, so many people think that's so antiquated to say, oh yeah, you can't you know, have sex before you're married. Like, shouldn't you try the plumbing out? Just gonna tell you, the plumbing works. Uh, let's, let's not be wacko. Uh, but the world is in all kind of trouble because we don't value virginity anymore. And, and um, I just have to say it, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 verses one through two says, now concerning the things wherever you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every a woman have her own husband. Um, so the word touch there uh, in that is not just like, you know, touch. Uh, it, it's actually the, the word haptomai, which means to fasten oneself to, adhere to, cling to, of carnal intercourse with a woman or cohabitation, uh, sensual touch. See, we live in a cult culture that says, well, okay, uh, Pastor Brett, you, you prude. Um, we're just gonna live together. We won't have sex. We'll, we'll just live together. Um, you know, uh, first of all, if you can do that, you shouldn't be getting married. Um, I'm worried about your passion and romance. Like if you can do that and pull that off, you, you don't really have feelings for one another. Um, you better bail while you can. Now, if you, can, if you think you're gonna do that, um, you know, you're gonna fail if you're really in love and it's hard. That's why this idea to touch, it says to avoid fornication, which means sexual immorality, which matters to God. I have to say that. It doesn't matter to our world, but it does matter to God. Um, it seems simple, uh, but it needs to be said nowadays um, that, um, you, know, um, you know, sex, is designed by God. It's a beautiful thing that God invented, but it's the only sinless version of that is within marriage. Um, it's really kind of simple. 
um, a man with one wife, uh, one woman, one man joined together in biblical holy matrimony. Um, the biblical boundaries around intimacy, uh, any kind of sexual intimacy um, is marriage. So if you're asking yourself, should I have sex with this person? Um, ask yourself, is this my husband or my wife? That's what you ask. If it's not, if you wanna go with what God's plan is, um, you know, it's so funny how the world, we, we wanna do our thing. So we rebel against God and say, we're gonna have sex with whoever we want. Then that creates all kinds of problems. Um, you know, uh, and you know, not even to begin to mention all the sexually transmitted diseases that you're gonna bring into your marriage. If you ever do land on one person and get married, uh, you're gonna bring in all kinds of problems. And then I hate that people even call, you know, pregnancy a problem because it was never meant to be. Pregnancy was always meant to be a huge, joyous blessing, but it's our culture, oh, an unwanted pregnancy. Um, that's just so anti-God, anti-creation, anti-everything the Bible stands for. Um, that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians six eighteen, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does without the body, he commits for, uh, is, is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Um, when you're having sex outside of marriage, the Bible says you're sinning, not just, uh, you know, if, it's not just the whole thing, you know, sin's bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It'll mess you up. Um, and so what's the big mantra everybody says? Now, well, kids are gonna do it anyway, Pastor Brett. Um, well, if that's true, if you, if you give, you know, mom and dad, if you say, hey, kids are gonna have sex, so I'm just gonna make sure my kids are doing safe sex. Well, there's no such thing, by the way, except for one man, one woman for life. Uh, any doctor will tell you that uh, who's got a half a brain. That's just the truth. There's no such thing as safe sex even though your you know, sex ed classes in high school still uh, preach their sermons on um, you know, safe sex. But, um, but if your argument is, well, kids are gonna do it anyway, um, well, then the same thing is true. People are gonna do it anyway, not just kids. People are gonna do it anyway. Um, when does discipline start? Um, I think it starts when you're, you know, we should teach our kids discipline from the earliest of ages. And do you think, mom and dad, that your, your son that you're raising to have sex with girls and make sure you're having safe sex, um, do you think he's gonna, once he says I do and gets married to his wife, do you think suddenly he's gonna be sprinkled with discipline dust? And, and the same little loser you raised to have sex with anybody move with a pulse, he's gonna go off and have sex outside of marriage. Brad, how, you seem to be an authority on this. Yeah, I've done over a thousand weddings. And I've seen a lot of failure and a lot of hurt people because of adulterous affairs. It's, it's the same thing. We've been feeding our culture that, yeah, you know, people are gonna have sex, so whatever. Um, so, you know, it's funny that our culture still shockingly frowns upon adultery, um, which is kind of interesting. They, they don't frown on all other perverted sexual things, but we still kind of go, yeah, if you're married to someone and you're committing adultery, you're kind of a jerk. So at least we have that. But the Bible has told us long ago, the only true pure relationship is within the boundaries of marriage. And, and I gotta say, there's value in that. To have one sexual partner your whole life is the way God invented us to be it. He made our bodies to work that way. Um, so if a young man cannot stay pure before marriage, what's stopping him from staying pure within marriage? Um, that's why the Bible says, flee or run for your life from fornication. Um, um, and by the way, messing around with fornication will diminish what God can do in and through your life. Oh, I know the Lord forgives us, 
But um, you know, there's still repercussions of our sins. And the Lord will forgive you for your sins if you were sexually promiscuous you know, before you were married. The Lord will forgive you and he, he can, he can you know, forgive and forget. And there's some really good things about that. But don't, don't be mistaken. There's always still natural repercussions for our sin. Um, so anyway, I, I just wanted to make sure while we're talking about this girl who's a virgin, nobody talks about that anymore. But I had to bring that in because that's the Lord's plan. It's good for a man not to haptomai, touch a woman. That is sensually touch a woman outside of marriage. Anything short of that is called fornication. It's amazing how people uh, redefine things like the word fornication. Um, some people think fornication is only adulterous relationships sexually outside of marriage. No, just read your Bibles. Um, look at what the Bible says about fornication. Anything that's sexual outside of the marriage relationship is called fornication, which is uh, sexual immorality. Um, so uh, all that to say, the um, espousal period of time was where this girl now as a virgin, this is kind of her reputation. So the reason this, this news she's about to hear is gonna be a shock. Uh, I'm not sure it's as shocking to us today to even think about this, but in, in her time in Nazareth of those days, man, I don't think uh, this would be easy to swallow what she's about to hear. So we pick it up in verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, hail thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. So angel Gabriel gets into this. Uh, now, um, th we, this is where we start to say, wow, Mary, amazing. She's highly favored. Um, and this is where two mistakes are made. One, uh, where we give higher regard to Mary than we should and we deify her. There's, there's even churches that tend to deify Mary or make up stuff as they go about Mary and that's wrong but also uh, not giving her enough credit because she really isn't just some normal girl. She is an amazing young girl. But, but let's, let's land in the biblical admiration of Mary, not the um, total um, worship of Mary. Now, some of you are raised in the Catholic tradition and, and uh, you guys know that Mary's kind of a big deal within the Catholic church. How big of a deal? Well, if you know your Catholic doctrine and also depending on every, whether Vatican II Catholic or whatever form of Catholicism you follow, there's just some really crazy stuff they believe about Mary. Now, let me just remind you, the Catholic church holds the Bible as God's word, which is good for them, but they also hold church tradition equal to, or sometimes even higher than the Bible. Do you know that? Church tradition. Can I just tell you, um, whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic, you need to, red lights should go up on that because I can't defend church traditions, church history. I can't defend it. Whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant, we all have some horrible, stupid things the church has done um, in, in history. What I love about God's word is this is perfectly easy to defend. Everything in the Bible is right, and is inspired by God. Um, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration or God breathed. What it doesn't say is the Pope is God breathed and gives us godly insight. That's just people making stuff up. Um, where did they get the idea that the Pope could make papal edicts that are just as powerful as the word of God? Well, they got that from first Babylonians. That is not in the Bible. 
Um, and it's gotten them into all kinds of trouble. Um, does anybody know what the doctrine of immaculate conception is? Now, now um, some of you, most people misunderstand this. They think that it means that Mary gave birth to Jesus as a virgin. That's what we Protestants, we think that about, oh, the Catholics, they call it immaculate conception that Jesus was born of a virgin. No, um, no, immaculate conception is about the birth of Mary. Um, it has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. Do you know that? Um, what the, the doctrine of, it was in 1854 when Pope Pius, who wasn't so pious, but he called himself that, Pope Pius IX issued the, his famous bull ineffabilis, uh, which it means ineffable, which means sacred or divine. Now, this is something you always have to be careful because when we're talking about Mary and we start moving words of divinity and stuff like that in, you should be really, red flags should be going up on that. Um, there's only one divine who came among us and that was Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Mary was a person, she was not divine. Um, and there's some groups that make her almost to divinity. Um, uh, I'll show you more about that in a second. But um, in, in uh, 1854, um, basically this bull document that came from the Pope um, was called the Ineffabilis Deus, which God's ineffable declaration. It says this, Mary was preserved by immaculate conception when conceived in her mother's body and was miraculously free from pollution of sin inherited from Adam. She was in soul and body, holy, sinless, stainless, undefiled, pure, and innocent. That, um, that's the segment from his uh, ineffabilis deuce from 1854. Does that sound right with Bible? No, not even close. If you know your Bible, the, the, the word of God, you can know that that's just some wacko Pope coming up with some stupid idea. Oh, it sounds, it puts Mary whoo, way up there because she also is sinless, just like Jesus and stuff like that. Or we could talk about the doctrine of assumption. Um, and I think they're assuming too much on the doctrine. The, the doctrine of assumption or ascension is kind of the idea. This doctrine um, didn't find place in actual canon of Catholic theology until 1950. Um, it was November 1st, 1950 that Pope, Pope Pius XII uh, made it official that Mary ascended into heaven, just like Jesus ascended to heaven. And I could go into, a, that's just a couple, I go into a ton of doctrines concerning Mary that are just shockingly wacko. And I just wanna tell you, if you're from the Catholic tradition, it's okay for you to reject things that are uh, contrary to what the Bible says. Um, the Catholic Church is not the authority. The Bible is the authority. Athey Creek's not the authority. Pastor Brett's not the authority. The Pope's not the authority. The word of God is the authority that we give as God's holy word. Um, Newsweek magazine back in 1997 uh, was, was <laughs> kind of did a whole article on some of this. Um, but basically August, 1997, they said in this article, Mary has changed the Trinity into a holy quartet. Mary is viewed as the spouse of the Holy Spirit, the mother of the son and the daughter of the father, uh, queen mother of heaven and all that. Um, and he has an outsider, um, even as an outsider looking in, they can see that she is treated as the fourth member of the Godhead. And this article really did get it right. I'm sure the Catholics didn't like it, but, you know, and then when, you know, depending on what kind of Catholic you're talking to, if, if you ask them, do you pray to Mary? And some Catholics will say yes, some will say no. If they say no, what they're saying is they're asking Mary to pray for themselves. 
Um, uh, you know, and you say, well, Brett, that's not so bad if I'm just asking Mary to pray for me. Um, hold on a second. And here's what the Catholics that defend that, they'll say, well, do you ask your friends to pray for you? Well, sure, I'll say, hey, would you pray for me? And, and you say, yeah, I'll pray for you. Well, it's the same thing they say. You're, just, you're talking to Mary saying, would you pray for me? The only difference is Mary's dead. <laughs> we don't pray to dead people. The Bible teaches us not to pray to dead people. But um, the Bible tells us there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2.5, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So, so Mary, we have to be really careful with this whole exoner, you know, or exaltation, I should say, of, of Mary. Um, and we gotta be careful with that. But swinging the other way on the pendulum, she really was an amazing um, person. And, and, and uh, the Bible tells us something so cool here. I wanna show you something that uh, is so cool. Highly favored, it says there. The Greek word there in verse 28, for thou art highly favored. The Greek word is tao, which means loved above all to make graceful, to endue with special honor. Now you say, well, whoop de doo good for Mary. Well, she's highly favored, but I'm a loser. You wanna know what's really cool about this term keratao? Um, it actually is used in Ephesians chapter one, verse six, the same Greek word. It says, we read this last Sunday, by the way, when we were talking about being chosen and um, predestined, it's all in that section. But in Ephesians 1, six, it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That word accepted is keratao in the Greek the same word that is used with married. The point that I make is you and I, we were, we're adopted sons and daughters chosen by God. We, we, we studied that last Sunday. And why? Because you are called keratao, the same exact word that Gabriel says, Mary, you are keratao. As it turns out, if you're a Christian, if you've been saved by God's grace, you're part of the, the family of God. And God says, he chose you because you are keratao, same exact word that uh, Jesus uh, or pardon me, that Mary was receiving from Gabriel. Pretty cool. How does the Lord highly favor you? Have you ever thought about that? You know, like I get Mary, she's a young girl, she's awesome, but how could I be called highly favored or accepted in that same way? The answer might just be 2 Corinthians, you know, chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new. Um, that's how we are highly favored because of the work Jesus does in our lives. When you become a Christian, your sins are washed away and it's because Christ is in us. It's nothing we did, but Christ in us. That's our hope of glory. It's that we are highly favored because of that. Uh, pretty sweet stuff. Um, so um, notice it says here also in our text uh, that we just read, it says, um, verse 28, blessed art thou among women. Uh, it doesn't say blessed art thou above other women. I'm just saying it. Uh, this is what sometimes we do. Um, not the greatest of all women. It doesn't even say that. It just said blessed art thou among women. Uh, we need to take away Mary worship and watch out for that. But we also have to recognize she really was this great young girl uh, who's, who's impressive to say the least. But let's temper that with Biblical thinking, um, all that to say. So I'm not diminishing Mary, but I'm also saying watch out for people that do too much. Well, um, verse 29. 
It says, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Um, the, the Greek word there is diatarsao, which means greatly distressed. That's the idea. Every time Gabriel shows up, as I told you before, people freak out and this is what she's doing. Um, and Gabriel says to her, um, um, uh, verse uh, 30, the angel said unto her, fear not. That's that word phobio, uh, phobeo in the Greek, which is like where we get our pho, uh, you know, phobia is the idea. Uh, he says, don't be, a, don't be phobic about, don't be angel, angel, angelophobic. Uh, that's what Gabriel says here, basically. Um, don't, don't be troubled. Um, uh, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. A um, couple things to note about this message that I want you to see is the humanity side and the deity side. Verse 31, um, it says, and thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Um, this is the humanity, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Um, this reminds us, by the way, of the proto-evangelium. That's a fancy word for the first mention of the gospel. Does anybody remember where the first mention of the gospel is? Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, uh, you know, when, when you know, the Lord was handing out the curses uh, because of Satan's you know, tricking Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between thee, the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Um, we're talking about you know, the virgin birth there, because a woman doesn't carry seed. I will put enmity between thy seed, your descendant Satan, if you would, and her seed, uh, the seed of the woman, that doesn't exist. It's the seed of the male that produces. But this is the first implication of the virgin birth. Uh, which is kind of cool. Um, so that speaks of his humanity. Through the, through the womb of Mary, he would be born. That's the humanity side. But in verse 32, we see the deity side. It says, um, verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Um, and then verse um, 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Wow, this is powerful. So we got the deity part in verse 32 and verse 33. Um, the deity, he shall be great. He shall be called son of the highest. Even though he's gonna be born of Mary, the virgin humanity, he'd also be called son of the highest deity. Jesus was both 100% God, but he was also 100% man. Well, but that's impossible. Uh, with God, nothing is impossible. God can do whatever he wants and change percentages to fit 200%. God can do that, I'm not worried about that, nor should you be. Some people freak out about that kind of stuff, uh, but you shouldn't. Now, there's another component here. So we, we see the, the number one, the humanity and the deity, but we also see sort of a reference for you Bible students to recognize the Davidic covenant. Um, this is a big deal. This is the fulfilling of the Davidic covenant. You say, well, what's the Davidic? Well, David, the covenant that God made with David. Um, and it's there in verse 32 and verse 33, um, it says, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Second um, Samuel chapter seven, verses 13 and 16 are kind of reminding us of that Davidic covenant. It's a promise to David that God gave that his throne would never end and 
eventually on the throne in Jerusalem would sit the Messiah, the savior of, of the world really, uh, but, but of the Jews as well. Um, in fact, uh, let me read to you from First Chronicles. You can jot this down in your notes if you want, but First Chron- Chronicles, it says in verse, uh, seven, chapter 17, verse 11, uh, this, this, it says, and it shall come to pass when thy days be expired that thou must go be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons and will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took, from, uh, took it from him that was before thee. Remember um, King Saul got the mercy taken away from him? Um, uh, that's why we think Saul's not gonna be in heaven. If you don't have the mercy of the Lord, you're still in your sin. And Saul left with no mercy, that's a bad deal. But he says, I'm not gonna take away the mercy as I did with King Saul. Um, but verse 14, I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forevermore. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak to David. So that's one of those places you can read the Davidic covenant, First uh, Chronicles 17, 11 through 15. Um, and everything needed to work together perfectly, the virgin birth from the line of David, uh, the lineage of David. Um, we're gonna go into another genealogy here in Luke a little later on uh, and talk about that. Both uh, from Joseph's line and also Mary's line, he would be linked to the throne of David, which is kind of cool. Um, so question, quiz time. When will Jesus sit on the throne in Jerusalem? The millennial kingdom, after his second coming. There's, uh, the way I see it is gonna be the first thing that we're waiting for right now is the rapture of the church. Then there's gonna be a seven year period called the tribulation period. And then at the end of the tribulation period, Christ is gonna return, second coming, and rule and reign from Jerusalem. Um, and uh, uh, that's gonna be the glorious fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. But Jesus came in his first coming, not to take the throne, but to die on the cross. He was born to die so that we might have eternal life. That would be the first coming. The second coming is where he's gonna take control uh, people say, why doesn't God take control? He will. And you better be on the right side of that when Jesus comes in his second coming because it's not gonna be good for those who've opposed um, the Lord. Um, now in verses uh, 29 through 33 here, we see Gabriel announcing the, this promise to David just as being fulfilled. Um, in verse 34, it goes on. Uh, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost uh, shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Gulp, can you imagine being Mary? She might've been around 13 years old at this, at this time. Did you know that? Most people don't understand this. Uh, she was probably a teenager at least. Um, you know, the, the most um, radical estimates is she was 16, but most believe she was probably around th um, 13 years old. Uh, what do you do when a youth group girl shows up to the youth group? Uh, I'm pregnant. And you're like, Ch -ch -ch, where's the guy? Who's the dude? Like, can you imagine what, what this Mary's gonna have to face by saying, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit? 
Uh, yeah, that's, we've heard that's the old pregnant by the Holy Spirit trick. Uh, you, think, you think we're gonna believe that? Um, now she says, I haven't known a man. It doesn't mean that she doesn't, not acquainted with a man. She already is espoused to Joseph. When she uses the word known, it's, a, it's the biblical idiom for the word sexual relationship with. Um, and so she's saying, how is this gonna happen? I haven't, I haven't even you know, known a man intimately. How is this gonna happen? And, and basically Gabriel says, the Lord will take care of all this. Don't you worry about it. Um, and I, I, I think this is a good thing for us to remember. Uh, next time you're thinking, how is this gonna work out? Well, just remember the same God that worked it out in Mary with a very difficult situation. That's the same God that can work it out in your life. Things that maybe aren't working out so good right now in business or in life or with relationships and friends and stuff. You think, how is this all gonna work out? And the Lord, the Lord might just say, don't worry, God's got this. He's gonna, he's gonna take care of it. Now, if you say that to a friend, they'll all say, yeah, yeah, oh, the Lord's got this. Thanks a lot. But it's actually still true. I, I'm getting tired and more weary the older I get of people who sort of um, downplay just true things. Um, you know, like you, you see a, a person who's struggling and they're not you know, doing the right thing. And, and you say, hey, here's what you need. Start reading your Bible and pray every day. Oh, the old read the Bible and pray. I've tried that back in 1943. I think I did that and didn't work back to, hey, uh, let God be true and every man a liar. Um, you still need to read your Bible and you still need to pray. And if you're not doing that, don't be shocked if things aren't really working out very well for you. Like it's just, it's, it's just really simple math, but uh, it's, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of more amazed at how people just kind of, oh, the old read your Bible and pray. It's not that simple. Well, sometimes it really is just that simple. Um, I know that there's often other things at play and stuff like that, but you show me a person who reads their Bible every day and prays, they're gonna be doing great. Even if they're not, they're still gonna be doing great. Um, that's the person who reads their Bible every day and prays. Um, and there's some people, you know, it, it's just interesting how we just don't wanna do the thing that actually works sometimes. We wanna get the fancy new shiny gizmo that's gonna be, I need counseling from a licensed therapist. Um, they just might mess you up. Um, you know, honestly, I'm just gonna say it. Uh, our pastoral team and the Titus II ladies here that counsel and all, all the counseling we, we give here, a, a lot of the work we do is undoing some of the poor counseling they've been given by these licensed therapists. Um, they can ruin your life if you're not careful. You better go with somebody who's biblically based, first of all. If you're gonna get counseling, find somebody who esteems the Bible. I have a friend who, you know, uh, his wife was upset with him because of this and that. Um, and so they, she wanted counseling, but she wasn't getting a counsel from a godly biblical person. And, you know, the first counsel without even talking to the husband really was to move out. The husband needs to move out of the house. Well, that's not really what the Bible says. Like, like um, you know, it's amazing how many people say, yeah, divorce the jerk. Well, it's funny, the Bible doesn't give us that counsel either. It, and yet people love to gravitate to the, whatever makes them feel better. Watch out for that. Um, I love Mary because she's gonna believe Gabriel. Just trust me on this, the Lord's gonna work this out. You're gonna be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? Like, don't, don't you think her mind would have been racing with more questions? Like, what does that mean? Can you explain what that, like, like that raises a few questions in my mind. I'm like, what, what do you do? But, but let's see what Mary does here because, um, you know, she's gonna have to deal with this. 
Um, but the Lord's gonna work it out. In fact, verse 36, and behold, he goes on, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now notice what Mary says. And Mary said, behold, the, um, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Whew. You know, when problems come and we try to figure stuff out, we always get it wrong anyway. It's better just to say, okay, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Remember the children of Israel were there in Exodus? They were getting hungry. And um, um, they were sick of the manna. Oh, we hate this loathsome bread. We want meat. We want meat. We want, remember that? And the children of Israel, that's all they were saying. I can't, hurt, I can't blame them for that, uh, you know. Uh, you gotta have some protein, you know. We want meat. But their, their attitude was all wrong about that. And they were demanding meat. And they said, Moses, go talk to the Lord and figure out what we're supposed to do about meat. So Moses goes, says, Lord, okay, the people really want meat, should we? And then Moses gives the Lord two options. Should we go and kill some of our cattle and have some steaks? Or should we go fishing in the sea and, and get some fish? Uh, which one, fish or meat? And the Lord says, no. Lord, which one, fish or meat? No. Tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have these little birds, little quail. They're gonna fly down and they're gonna hit just about a couple feet and you just be able to get, knock them out with a baseball bat. Um, Brett, that's not in the Bible. Well, it does say each person gathered 12 homers of birds. <laughs> Sorry. A homer was actually a, a big basket, but... Um, no, they, these birds just dropped out of the sky, little, little uh, tasty, you know, chicken McNuggets or whatever they were. Um, and the people were so ready to have meat, they started, and it says they had meat coming out their nostrils. There's a picture of Tad eating his dinner. Um, just sorry, Tad. No. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the children of Israel, it's like, you know, you could just see these people were so into their meat. You know, we want meat. And the Lord said, okay, I'm gonna give you meat. But, but isn't it funny? The Lord said, it's an either or situation, right? He said, uh, you know, Moses, you created this false dilemma for God. Is it fish or is it beef? And the Lord says, how about I just blow your socks off with something you would have never thought about? Birds are just gonna fly, fresh little birds dropping to the ground. You'll gather homers full of them and, uh, you know, cook them up and they'll be delicious. The Lord had a bigger and better plan that nobody would have ever thought of. And I, I wonder how many times we cut short what God's gonna do, which is amazing and miraculous because we're so busy trying to figure out, is it fish or meat? Beef or fish, which one? And the Lord says, no, I'm gonna do something totally different. Mary's one of the people in the Bible that doesn't demand or cry out, what are you doing or anything? She says, be it unto me according to thy word. And we're gonna see that, that Mary is way more mature than your average uh, 13 or 15 or 16 year old girl. Uh, she's, she's pretty profound here. We'll see that in a minute. Um, but there in verse 36, we see that Mary's gonna go and hang out with Elizabeth uh, for three months while she's uh, getting ready to give birth to John the Baptist. Um, and by the way, Elizabeth would be going through a very similar situation. She's pregnant, only she's a little more pregnant than Mary's gonna be, right? Um, she's already six months pregnant. She's older and wiser. And I think it's appropriate that Mary's gonna go hang out with Elizabeth. If you're in trouble, one of the things you can do is kind of what Mary's doing, find the person in the church 
who's older and wiser and has been through some life, maybe similar things you've gone through, and um, hang out with them in the faith. You know, like I, I, think, I, I think I've seen where people get such great benefit from finding other brothers and sisters. And Mary, she's got quite a thing to, to behold. Don't you think it's gonna be helpful to have Elizabeth around her after hearing that? I think Elizabeth's gonna be a huge comfort to Mary and uh, a great sort of a mentor uh, to this young girl who's gonna be pregnant with Jesus. Um, she herself is pregnant with John the Baptist. So there's a relatability. And, you know, maybe you'll find that if, if you're looking, you know, come on, if you're a guy, come to Ironworks and uh, meet some of the brothers of the church. And it's a great place to get to know guys and find the older guy and, you know, get to know some of the people. Talk to the pastoral team and we'll point you in the right direction. There's all kinds of brothers in this church that are seasoned, godly men who've lived some life and made some mistakes, but also have done well. Um, you know, we, we also have it with the women's ministry, with uh, Devoted and, and with the Titus 2 gals. You know, um, in Titus 2, it says that the older women should, should help the younger women. And, and the church is so much better off for that. We have some great women that are on the Titus 2 team. That's what we call them. The Titus 2 uh, women at Athe are uh, just, just available to help some of you younger girls that are saying, man, I'm going through tough stuff and I don't know how to deal with this part of being a mom or a wife or just in life as a single woman. Um, you know, these are gals that can come and stand with you. Um, so I love this model of Mary going to go live with Elizabeth for three months because she needs some help and some direction. Um, you know, by the way, in verse 37, uh, uh, there, uh, um, it's funny to me because uh, people have misconstrued verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And you know who really jumped on that? Is the name it and claim it, uh, the blab it and grab it, the squeal it and steal it, people. <laughs> the shout it and tout it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Remember the word of faith people and Kenneth Copeland and all these guys, like they, they, you know, they got verses like this and they would quote, you know, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Um, but they, they forget about, you know, our, our you know, part where we have to submit to God and be in congruency with God, not doing our own thing. But, you know, um, you know it's, it's not if, if you want God to be on your side so you can get anything you want, that's getting it wrong. Um, in fact, the original language is really enlightening this. Um, um, uh, you know, it's basically, if you're on God's, God's side, then all things are possible. That's really the language. In fact, believe it or not, the American Standard Version, uh, the 1901 version, um, this is the problem of being a pastor. I have every version and translation of the Bible in my office and I love reading them. Uh, but um, when you look it up in the Greek text, guess who translates the best? It's the 1901 ASV where they put it this way. I think it's kind of cool. Um, For no word from God shall be void of power. That's what the original Greek, Greek, uh, Greek language really says there. Um, in fact, the word power there, see, you'd miss this. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And you don't see in the English King James, the word power there, but it is there, but it's, it's, it's actually void of power. Instead of the word impossible, it's basically saying, if you're God's on, uh, on, on, you're basically for no word from God shall be void of power. The, 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 um, the word there is, is really cool. Um, it means um, uh, the, the Greek word for impossible or void of power is 
adynateo, which remember the word dynamite or dunamis? Remember when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? The power of the Holy Spirit, dunamis is the Greek word. Well, this is adunamis basically, void of power or no power. So basically it's saying, for no word from God shall be uh, without dunamis or without power. So it's really God's word. It's not you naming it and claiming it. It's actually God naming it and claiming it. When God says, you're gonna be a virgin and you're gonna give birth to Jesus the Messiah, God with us, that's God naming it and claiming it. And so, so she's, she says, for with God, that's where she's right. And the, and the translation does work out, with God, nothing shall be impossible because it's his power that does everything. But don't misconstrue that as so many the, the name it and claim it people try to do and say, you can do whatever you want because with God, everything's you know, at your fingertips. No, that's a wrong interpretation. Um, and this may explain her beautiful response there uh, when she says, be it unto me according to thy word. Because whose word gives it the power? Is it Mary? I'm gonna believe God. No, she doesn't do that. That's just Kenneth Copeland, Hagen, and all the wacko dudes. Um, it's, she's saying, God's word is what I'm gonna put my trust in, not my own. She's not naming it and claiming it. She's just trusting that God has the power to do it. Be it unto me according to thy word. And then the angel takes off. Gabriel's gone now. Um, what an amazing scene. I, I, I'm just so amazed at this, this whole picture here. Well, so she's submitting to the word of the Lord, which is what you and I need to do. Um, by the way, when you read your Bible, read it like Mary just said it. Be it unto me according to thy word. That should be your and my mantra every time we read the Bible. Some people read the Bible to judge it, to criticize it, to find out fault with it. That's some people. We need to read the Bible and let it judge us. The Bible is the judge of us, not the other way around. Uh, let the word of God set the standard, be the standard. Well, verse 39, it says, and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So far, we've seen in our studies, even last Sunday, John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Ghost, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Ghost, um, Zacharias filled with the Holy Ghost. This is one of the most spirit-filled families in all the Bible. Uh, it's really kind of cool how the Holy Spirit plays such a key role in the whole nativity of Jesus. Um, but it goes on, this, you know, filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 42, and she spake out with a loud voice saying, blessed art thou among women. Now, now, this is one of the few times in the Bible we actually have a demonstrative, somebody speaking loudly. Like, I, I do think a lot of times people try to heebie-jeebie the work of the Spirit. Oh, the Spirit of the Lord. But uh, it's just humans being weird. But in this case, Elizabeth's baby, the baby leaps in her womb, and now she's filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks loudly something, and she's making this really big proclamation. Check this out. Um, she spake out, verse 42, with a loud voice and said, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Um, you, you moms that have babies, you know this. Um, 
doesn't it make you mad when like your baby smiles at a very early age and people say, that's eh, just gas. <laughs> Don't you hate that? I used to hate that. I'm like, what do you know about my child? You're like, get away from me. It's like, it's, like, um, it's not just gas. I wonder if uh, somebody would have come to Elizabeth, oh, that wasn't the Holy Ghost, man. That was just the pizza, yeah. The baby's responding to the pizza that you ate last night. Um, no, how did Elizabeth know um, that this was the, you know, the, the announcement that made John the Baptist leap? It's because she was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost. She had this knowledge uh, and filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 41. Um, and um, you know, along with this whole being filled with the Holy Ghost, she gives these radical, she, she recognizes, wow, who am I that this woman who's coming to my house, which is her niece, um, you know, comes and, um, and they're like, uh, you know, hanging out together and stuff. And, and she says, who am I that, that I get to be around this woman who's giving birth to my Lord? Do, do you realize that Elizabeth's so squared away, she knows exactly who Jesus is before he's even born. Again, I just have to say it again. I'm always kind of amazed how the women in the Bible are the ones who really get, get it squared away really well. Um, even Zacharias, as much as I like old Zachy there in the story, um, he's the one said, I don't know how this is gonna happen. And because of his unbelief, Gabriel said, you're not gonna speak for nine months. But these ladies are just, they just kind of get it. I, I think this is so important to see this. But, um, but um, along with this leaping of the, in the mother's womb, along comes some sober thoughts as well. But that womb is where God is doing his beautiful fearfully, wonderfully made child within a mother's womb. And I have to say it again. I know some of you are probably sick of me bringing it up, but um, you know, this is where abortion just to more, more and more just becomes such an abomination. Um, did you see uh, the article just came out this last April? Artificial womb will change abortion rights forever. Um, research in Cambridge in England grew human embryos in uh, ectogenesis, the process of human or animal gestation in an artificial environment um, uh, for up to 13 days after fertile, uh, fertilization. Um, now, what, what, this is, what this is doing is science, as much as this is ethically wrong and wacko in and of itself, trying to sort of incubate the embryo after 13 days after fertilization, then transferring it to this sort of fake womb, um, what, what this should argue for one thing is when does life begin? Well, it begins much earlier, according to the science, than the abortionists, the pro-abortion people. But it's not pro-abortion, it's pro-choice. Nope, it's pro-death, pro-murder, poor, pro, like let's stop playing the game of the syntax, pro-choice. Pro um, the baby has no choice at all in the matter. Um, and that's why I'm speaking up about it. Um, so when does it become a baby? Um, I believe it's the miraculous at conception. Um, that's what the Bible teaches. You know, and, and these people that, that they're in total denial, just scientifically, um, about a baby. You know, these scans and, and stuff that they're doing, you know, the, I'll admit the ultrasound, you kind of have to know what you're looking at and stuff. But have you seen some of these 3D images now of babies? They've, they've, they've shown when the mom eats um, food, like, like, like there's actually a, a, this is true, you're not gonna believe me. You can look it up if you want. But a baby, they're, they're scanning its face, watching what it does when the mom eats certain foods and stuff. And upon eating carrots, the baby was smiling. Upon eating kale, the, the baby frowned really, really bad. I was like, Duh. that's pretty cool. <laughs> 
When does it become a baby? Did you know this, like here's a 3D image of a baby that's only 22 weeks old, 22 weeks in the mother's womb. And um, there's people that say, this is just fetal blob, it's fetal tissue. That's just total ignorance to claim that. Um, these babies, the heartbeat, um, the response that these babies have to pain, all that stuff is there and people try to act like it's no big deal. Um, it's a double standard in our society. A car accident, killing a pregnant mother, um, can be, a person can be convicted in our culture of a double homicide. Isn't that weird? I mean, it's right, but it's, it's weird that the, then the same person go to a hospital and say, I'm gonna kill this baby and nobody cares about that. Um, so, you know, uh, don't bow down to the verbiage, you know, pro-choice and all that. I think we need to call it what it is and not play the game anymore. Um, some verses in the Bible about the unborn child, well, there are plenty. I'll just give you some of my favorites. Uh, we're gonna rapid fire these. Uh, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, for you formed my inward parts. Um, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book um, were written, every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were, uh, was none of them. Psalm 22, nine through 10. Yet you are he who took me uh, from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. This is long before David was born. He belonged to the Lord is what he said. Job 31, 15. Um, did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Isaiah 44, two, thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which uh, will help thee. Uh, Isaiah 49, five, and now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again. Are you getting the sense that God does a lot of work in the womb to prepare the person for who they're gonna be in this lifetime? That's what you get when you read the Bible. It's all about the womb. Jeremiah the prophet, same thing. It says about Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. This is the Lord speaking. Um, now this, the gravity of this one is pretty heavy when you think, before I formed you in the belly, I knew thee. What's that? God knew Jeremiah personally in the mother's womb before even that. And you came, before you even came out of the, I already sanctified you and ordained you a prophet of the nations. So the thing that a, 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 a woman who's got a, a baby or a man and a woman who became pregnant, what you have to remember is God knows the baby you're about to abort. God knows that baby personally already. That's what it says here. And already has a plan for that baby and a purpose for that baby. And for a person to say, it's my right, it's my body. No, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's body that's being formed. It's a person who the Lord knows and is acquainted with. And for anybody to think differently than that is to deny the whole Bible, God's word, and you really shouldn't do that. Um, so in the womb, we see ordained, called, formed, joy, receiving the Holy Spirit. We see all that. Um, and, and it's because our culture is so corrupt, we don't even call that a person, we call it fetal tissue. You know what it reminds me of? 
Um, are you guys familiar uh, with history, uh, the Dred Scott case? Dred Scott, this was Dred Scott. Maybe you remember, of course, if you went to public school, you probably never heard about this one, but um, uh, in 1834, Dred Scott was a slave who belonged to Dr. Er Emerson, who was a surgeon in the army of the United States. In that year, Dr. Emerson took Dred Scott, his slave, from the state of Missouri to the military post at Rock Island in the state of Illinois and held him there as a slave until 1836. Um, but eventually making the way back to Missouri. Well, in 1846, Dred Scott and his wife Harriet sued for their freedom. They claimed that they were, they were free due to their residence in a free territory where slavery was prohibited. But Scott lost his case, um, which had worked its way through the Missouri state courts. Then he filed a new federal lawsuit, uh, ultimately went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court stated that a slave was not a person as much as they were considered someone's property. That's the story of Dred Scott. Um, and you know, we, we show that story and we should teach that as the horror of slavery in our nation. What a, what a horrible, I mean, it's the ugliest thing the United States ever did, I think, if you ask me, except for abortion. Abortion is 10 times worse. But nothing's worse than slavery, abortion is. Um, we're calling the same thing. We, we called this man not a person back in those days. And fortunately, the goal wasn't to exterminate all those people. In abortion, the goal is to exterminate all these millions. How many slaves were there? Well, there's been a lot more babies aborted than there were slaves. And we, we do it in the name of, oh, they're not a person. They're, they're, they're just a fetal tissue. It's the same stupidity of the 18, uh, 1840s of the Dred Scott case. Just saying, uh, Brett, you sound like you're really against abortion. No, the Bible and God is against abortion. Who cares what I think? I'm just reading you what the Bible says. I'm talking about history. Um, God give us wisdom. I think we're gonna be shocked when we stand before the Lord someday how, how bad uh, our culture has really become. I don't think we see it. Well, we gotta finish. Uh, verse 45 <laughs> is where we are. Um, it says, and blessed is she that believed for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Um, unlike Zacharias who didn't believe, Elizabeth is acknowledging, Mary, you believed, good for you. That's kind of cool. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Now, this is Mary's response to um, Elizabeth. Um, but this next little section is called the Magnificat. The what? Um, the Magnificat. Why? Brett, because Mary said it and it's magnificent. No. The reason it's called the Magnificat is because Mary says the opposite. It's not all about me and my magnificent statement. She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. See, the word magnify is why they call it the Magnificat. It's Mary's praise to the Lord, not praising Mary for something great she's about to say. Um, she's wanting to magnify the Lord. Every person that's right will do that. Um, so, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. Isn't that amazing how she was able to kind of see the big picture? She's right. Everybody would call her blessed. She saw that as a young girl. For he that is mighty, verse 49, hath done to me great things and holy is his name. 
and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Do you get a sense this girl's pretty dialed in? Like she gets it. It's he that has done all these things. Did you see how many times he hath done these things? Uh, he hath, verse 48, uh, regarded me of low estate. He hath done great things. Verse 51, he hath showed me strength with his arm. He, verse 52, hath put down the mighty. She's giving him all the glory, all the credit, and you gotta be impressed with this young girl. Um, she gets it and she understands it. Verse 56, and Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Now Elizabeth, full uh, time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her. And they rejoiced with her and it came to pass on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child uh, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And the mother answered and said, not so, but he shall be called John. This, isn't that funny that the neighbors and the cousins assume, oh, he's gonna be called Zacharias. You're Zacharias the second. Uh, hey, Zacharias, hey, little Jackie. No, Elizabeth says, his name is John. Yeah, but check this out. His name is John. And they, verse 61, said unto her, there is none of thy kindred is called by his, this name. So they made signs to his father how he would have him called. In other words, uh, this is why I think he was not only mute, he couldn't talk, but I think he also couldn't hear, uh, which we missed that part at the first part because um, they're making signs. What are you going to call him? <laughs> now verse 63, and he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. Um, why would they marvel? Well, that would have been unusual to call a name that had nothing to do with the other ones. But you gotta remember John means Jehovah is gracious, uh, which is a great name for John the Baptist. Um, but uh, I love that, you know, the, the firmness that Elizabeth and Zacharias have. His name is John. Uh, well, why are you gonna call him? His name is John. Did I stutter? Uh, like it's John, J-O-H-N. Um, well, at that moment, verse 64, his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue was loosed and he spake and praised God and fear came upon all that dwelt around about them. And all these things were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. In verse 67 through 79 is where Zechariah filled with Holy Ghost prophesied. And we looked at that, the song of Zechariah last week. So we only have one more verse to cover, verse 80, and then we'll pack it up. Verse 80, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. John the Baptist, we'll see more of him. An amazing guy, filled with the spirit. The, uh, just real quick, um, things that, you know, that we missed in the song of Zechariah on, on Sunday. I didn't cover everything in perfect detail, but really fast, four things John the Baptist would do. Um, we see number one, uh, preparation. Number, number one, preparation. Verse 76, uh, you know, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. 
Number two, information, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Uh, John the Baptist, number three, would give illumination, verse 79, to give light unto them that are in, sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. And fourthly, direction, to guide our feet in the way of peace for guidance. That's what John the Baptist would do. All of these things um, we looked at on Sunday in the Song of Zacharias, uh, just a quick summary of that. Well, Lord, we're so thankful for uh, what a glorious story of the coming of the Messiah, John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Mary. These are great stories of your word, but may we also learn from them. Give us the faith, Lord of Mary, who just so willingly said, be it unto me according to thy servant. May we have that same attitude, Lord, just that whatever your will is for our lives, scary, difficult, challenging, fun, whatever it might be, I pray that we'd find ourselves just open and submitted to your plan and purpose. So help us with that, Lord. Bless these, your people, as faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. May our faith be strengthened tonight as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen.